There is a word uh, from the Lord found in the book of Acts, in the book of Acts chapter 4. I'm just going to read for you hearing one verse. We'll talk about a lot of them, but I'm going to just read one. Is that all right? Acts chapter 4, verse 13. If you would, and if you're able to, would you stand with me as we honor the word of God? I'll be reading from the ESV version of the Bible, whatever version you have, is just fine. Acts chapter 4, verse 13, you'll find the following words. Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated, common men, they were astonished. And they recognized that they had been with Jesus. You may be seated. Here's a question. I have a question for you. From that verse, I'd like to pose this question. For the rest of our time together, this is the question I'm going to be talking about. Have you been with Jesus? Have you been with Jesus? It's a proven fact that when you've been with somebody long enough and often enough, you begin to reflect their mannerisms. I try as hard as I can, Brother Sam, not to look like and act like my daddy, but I just can't help it. I, I find myself doing stuff he does and saying things the way he says. If you are around somebody long enough, you just can't help but to reflect their mannerisms. I'm sorry, Simeon, but it's going to happen to you as well. At some point, you're going to be like that commercial that comes on TV talking about when you get old, you're going to act like your parents. <laughs> you're going to be in front of the sign on the highway asking somebody, can you take a selfie, selfie of me? <laughs> can I take a selfie of you? Okay. Y'all saw that commercial, right? You're going to, if you're around somebody long enough, you can't help but to adopt those things. Their character rubs off on you. And even oftentimes their appearance. Genetics and heredity are not the only explanations for resemblance. It can also be explained by familiarity. Uh, that, that, that can also explain resemblance. Intense, constant proximity can result in resemblance. You don't believe it, do you? I know you don't believe it, so I brought some evidence. Take a look at this. Can I, somebody get the lights? Get the lights, get the lights, because you got big. Hold on, don't, don't, hold, hold on, Cody. We need the lights off, because I want y'all to see this. Proximity can result in resemblance. Look at that. Wonder how long they've been married. They look like brothers and sisters. That's husband and wife. Look at that. Don't they look alike? They look like somebody in this church, as a matter of fact, don't they? Look at that. Proximity breeds resemblance. Isn't it, isn't it strange that at some point, at some point if you're around somebody long enough, you begin to look like them? Everybody knows this couple. They look alike, don't they? Now watch this. Stop, Cody. Hold on. Not only does it happen in human relationships, it's also been said that if you have a pet long enough, that you begin to resemble that pet. Let's see. You don't believe it. Watch this. 
It, it happens even, watch this, it, it, it happens if you, <laughs> if you're around somebody long enough, you begin to resemble. <laughs> Look at this. And then there's one coming up, not this one. Look, isn't that something? Looks just like, look at, look at, and then this last one, I think, is the last one. Everybody knows this person. <laughs> isn't that something? If you are around someone long enough, even their appearance can rub off. Familiarity breeds similarity. If we are who we, you knew I was going somewhere with this, didn't you? If we are who we profess to be and who we, in fact, should be, we should bear a striking spiritual resemblance, somebody help me finish this, to Jesus. There should be a striking resemblance, such a striking resemblance between the Christian and the Christ that when the world and those that live in it examine you, there should be but one conclusion. They should recognize and exclaim that he or she has been with Jesus. It ought to be just all over you. It, it should just be, be, be flowing out of you when preparing to face an uncertain world full of uncertain challenges. It is a good idea to spend some time with Jesus. It's a good idea because we have things that we are going to face every day that, go, that are going to challenge us. And before we set foot out the door, and oftentimes before we even leave the house, we are hit in the face with some of those challenges. And it's a good idea that before you face those, that you spend some time with Jesus. How do we spend time with Jesus? Many of those in the Bible, even some that are in this passage of Scripture that we're looking at today, had the privilege of actually spending physical time with Jesus. We can't do that. If you tell me that you saw Jesus, I mean, that you actually sat down, you talked with him and all that, Physically, I, you know, I, I believe <laughs> in the supernatural and all that, and I, you know, I, but I'm just not going to have to be very sure that, that we, you know, it's hard for us to physically be in his presence with him sitting there and me sitting here and I'm watching him and he's watching me. And I'm, but we can spend time with him in other ways. How do we, Brother Robbie, in the 21st century spend time with Jesus? We do it through prayer. We do it through devotional time in his word. We do it through, yes, even times of fasting and denying ourselves so that we can concentrate and focus on his spiritual presence. We, we, we must spend time with Jesus. True prayer, true time with Jesus energizes us for service. It energizes us for the battle that's ahead of us. In our text, Peter and John were facing challenges, but they had prepared themselves to the point that the opposition was dumbfounded and could only surmise and recognize that they 
had been with Jesus. To understand what's going on in verse 13, we have to back up to verse 1. Because in verse 1, Peter is in the middle of preaching what is his second sermon in the book of Acts. Uh, He begins this sermon in chapter 3, verse 12. He's preaching this sermon. Uh, He has preached before. This one is shorter but similar to the first one and the more familiar one that he preaches in Acts chapter 2 on the day of Pentecost. It's similar because he preaches some of the same things in this message. In this message, he still is preaching Jesus. In this, just like he did in Acts chapter 2, he's still preaching the Messiahship of Jesus and that Jesus is the Messiah. He is preaching about Jesus' ability to miraculously heal the sick. He's preaching at the end of his message that starts in chapter 3. He's encouraging and calling on the Jews to repent and turn to Jesus. He starts his message in chapter 3, verse 12, and then we get to chapter 4, verse 1. And in chapter 4, verse 1, his sermon that he is just involved in, and he's really preaching hard, his sermon is interrupted. In Acts chapter 4, verse 1, and the propagation of the gospel is opposed in Acts chapter 4, verse 1, for the first time in the book of Acts. It's opposed by the priests, the captain of the temple, and the Sadducees. They hear Peter, I'm sorry, they hear Paul preaching, and, 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 and I'm sorry, read this to me, they hear Peter preaching. So you have to forgive me. Listen. Work with me, let me tell you why. Because I taught Sunday school this morning <laughs> from Acts chapter 15 and 16. <laughs> and it's all running together in my mind. I talked about Paul in Acts chapter 16 this morning and Silas. And we had a pretty good time talking about it. And now I had such a good time that Paul keeps coming back to mind. <laughs> but this is Peter. And Peter is preaching here in Acts. Uh, chapter 4, and he's interrupted by these folks, these Sadducees, who hear him preaching, and they interrupt him, and they, for the first time, face opposition to the gospel here in the book of Acts. The Sadducees, the Sadducees were a group of, of men who rejected the oral traditions of the Pharisees and adhered only to the Pentateuch. They didn't care about anything else. They, they, they strictly went by the Pentateuch. They strongly disbelieved in bodily resurrection. They denied the existence of angels and demons. They were marked by their extreme loyalty to the Roman government. They wanted to, at all costs, appease the Romans. Their concern was to make peace with the Romans, maintain the status quo, and not disturb their status of affluence and wealth. Sadducees were known to be a wealthy group of people, a group of men, and they didn't want to do anything to mess that up. They were upset with Peter and John. They were upset with their preaching for two reasons. First reason they were upset with what they were preaching is a theological reason. They were upset with and didn't agree with the theological part of their message because 
part of their message was centered around the resurrection and the possibility of those being resurrected. Not only Jesus' resurrection, but the possibility of there being bodily resurrection. They opposed that, but that was not the primary reason why they were upset. The primary reason was not theological, it was political, because they were concerned that if this was allowed to continue, that just as in Acts chapter 16, I'm going back there now, and I'm going to bring myself back, just as in 16, they were concerned that this preaching would cause an uproar. Problems would arise, and they would lose the status quo that they so desperately wanted to maintain. So they opposed this kind of preaching. Uh, they were opposed to it. They, 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 they uh, wanted to avoid confrontation with the Roman authorities. So in verse 3, they uh, arrest Peter and John and throw them in jail. The Bible says it was evening time, and so they had to be held overnight until the next day. Uh, verse 4 highlights the fact, if you go back and read verse 4, it talks about uh, the fact that although these men, these missionaries faced opposition, still 5,000 men alone, not counting women and children in Jerusalem, came to faith in Christ because of the preaching of Peter and John and others like them. So even in the face of opposition, the gospel was still going forward. The next day, they are brought before the Sanhedrin Council, which included Annas and his son-in-law, Caiaphas. Those names probably sound familiar to you. We'll talk a little bit more about that in a minute. Verse 7, they are asked by what power or by what name do you do this? That's a dangerous question to ask somebody who's sold out and committed to Christ. That's a, because you just might get the answer that you don't want to hear. If you, if you ask me, by what name? Do you do this? If you ask me, by what name do you preach this God? By what name do you live? By what name? I'm just going to have to stand flat-footed and tell you, it's in the name of Jesus Christ, of Nazareth. And that's exactly what Peter does. He begins to make his case, and he begins to answer that question in verse 8. Verse 8, the text says that Peter, who was filled with the Holy Spirit, begins to offer his answer, and he offers his answer as Peter often does in the form of a sermon. This is a sermonette, though it only lasts five verses, but in these five verses is a power-packed sermonette. He's, he's preaching it because he's been asked the question, by what name and, and, and on whose name are you doing these things? And he launches into this power Packed sermon. In the sermon, he references Jesus' healing power. In the sermon, he references the crucifixion and the resurrection of Jesus. He quotes in this sermon, in these short verses, he quotes Psalm 118, verse 22, and describes Christ as the stone which the builders rejected. And he makes reference to the fact that that same stone is now the cornerstone. And what I like about it is the way he closes his sermonette. He closes his sermonette with that all-familiar verse in, chapter, in verse 12 when he reminds them that there is salvation in no one else. 
For there is no other name under heaven given whereby men might be saved. By the time we arrive in verse 13, the council is in awe of Peter and John. They probably, as we arrive at verse 13, they probably didn't realize it, but their last sentence in verse 13 was solely responsible for their astonishment in the first sentence in verse 13. Because in the last sentence, again, it says that they recognized that they had been with Jesus. There was something about these men that resembled Jesus. They had been around Jesus. They had learned from Jesus. They had walked with Jesus. They had prayed with Jesus. They had supped with Jesus. They were there when Jesus was crucified. At least they were around. They had run away, but they were there when he was arrested. They were with Jesus. And because of their proximity to Jesus, something about them said they've been with Jesus. And it seems as though they bore a striking resemblance just like these pictures that we looked at. I don't know if they physically looked like him, but there was something about them that said to the council, these men have been with Jesus. It's likely that it was widely known that these men were of the group who had spent time with Jesus. And this last verse in 13 was just simply an affirmation of that fact. That could be the case. But even if it were not widely known, there were some telltale signs, some indicators about these men that said that they had been with Jesus. We learn from our text that true quality time spent with Jesus produces some spiritual similarities. True quality time will produce. Uh, I have Three of them, you want to hear them? Y'all know I like to do things in threes. Y'all ready for it? You ready to hear the first indicator? The first thing that will give uh, a first telltale sign that you have been with Jesus is boldness. Boldness. Look at the text. The text says this. Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, so, so first thing that gives, that gives them a clue that, 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 that's going to take them to the end uh, of this verse, the sentence that they, that they proclaim at the end is what they say in the beginning, and that is that there was a certain kind of boldness about these men that was extraordinary, that was not normal. There was something about them. Boldness is what they saw in them. It's the Greek word parousia. Everybody say parousia. It means courage, confidence to speak openly and frankly. It's not timidity. It's not hesitation. It's the opposite of those things. It is confidence. It is confidence. Uh, William Wilberforce, the British philanthropist and born-again Christian from the 1700s, said this about boldness. Let true Christians then, with becoming earnestness, strive in all things to recommend their profession. Let them boldly assert the cause of Christ in an age 
when so many who bear the name of Christians are ashamed of him. Anybody here ashamed of the God? That's, that's a good time to be quiet. You know I hate a quiet church, but that's a good time for everybody in the church to not say a word because nobody should openly confess that you're ashamed of the gospel. Wilberforce says we ought to tell everybody about the God we serve. Christ himself epitomized boldness. You remember that Christ stood up to the establishment, the religious establishment in John chapter 2. He turns over the tables of the money changers in the temple and said to them, if you destroy this temple, I will build it again in three days. Matthew 23, 33, he calls the scribes and the Pharisees snakes and a generation of vipers. He was bold about what he did. And it seems like his boldness rubbed off on those who spent time with him. He was very bold. Uh, there, there are a lot of instances that we see his boldness. Uh, one in particular comes to mind. It was one Friday. See, some of y'all that grew up in the Baptist church should have helped me right there. It happened one Friday. Out on a hill called Calvary, it took boldness for him to stay on that cross because they hung him high, they stretched him wide, and he hung his head. Somebody help me in the locks of his shoulders, and boldness kept him up there, and he died for you and me. And his boldness rubbed off on those that spent time with him. He was bold, and so they became Peter and John, had spent time with Christ, both pre-resurrection and post-resurrection. And because of what they witnessed, these men who were once so cowardly that they abandoned Christ during his time of distress, are now brave and bold enough to defy the same Sanhedrin council who had Jesus arrested and presided over his trial and insisted that he be crucified. These same men who were cowards are now bold and courageous. They had become the fulfillment of Jesus' promise to make them fishers of men. And at this point, they are fiercely committed to their fishing expedition. They're fiercely, fiercely committed. Uh, he said the same thing to us. He says that he'll make us fishers of men. And he wants us to be just as fiercely committed to our fishing expedition as Paul, as Peter, Paul, all of them. I'm just going to throw them all together today because the gray hair won't let me distinguish between. So they all were on a fishing expedition, John. <laughs> they all were. It don't matter. All of them did this. They all were bold, right? <laughs> and Jesus wants us to have the same boldness and to be just as committed to our fishing expedition as these men were to theirs. I'm going to share three quotes with me on boldness real quick. Can I do that? The late noted pastor of Mount Zion Baptist Church in Los Angeles, Dr. E.B. Hill, said this, instead of being fishers of men, the church have become keepers of the aquarium. Let that marinate for a minute. 
while I catch my breath. And then it was the late Dr. William Augustus Jones, Jr., Prince of Preachers, who said, in the day and time in which we live, live when trumpets are needed, flutes won't suffice. We need some trumpets around here. And then lastly, Craig Groeschel, senior pastor of Life Church, says this, if you believe that the one true Lord God is calling you, empowering you, leading you, and equipping you, then you will live boldly, not tentatively. Why? Because boldness is behavior born of belief. When you believe, you can't help but to be bold. You know why? Because you, y'all excuse my English right here, you ain't worried about nothing. When you believe, just like, I'm going back, I'm, 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 I'm teetering between 16 and 4. I got to run back to 16 right quick. Just like Paul and Silas who were in jail and midnight came. Boy, I wish I could preach that message that I taught this morning. And they were not scared. They weren't worried. They were bold enough to sing praise songs at midnight because they believed in an all-powerful God. But as a hurry, I need to tell you, not only does being with Jesus bring about boldness, it also produces unexplainable power. Unexplainable power. Look at the text. The text says that they were uneducated, common men. The Greek words here mean that they were unlettered commoners. They were uneducated in the rabbinical teachings and held no special positions or abilities. They were not anything special. They were just regular guys. Hadn't been to seminary. Hadn't sat at the feet of people like Gamaliel, like Paul did. They, they didn't have this kind of, they were just regular, ordinary guys. And the council could not understand how they could speak like they did could not understand these commoners. How could they do the things that they've done? I'll tell you how. Because hanging out with Jesus overcomes our deficiencies. You do know that, don't you? Somebody here ought to say amen because you have some deficiencies. I have some deficiencies. But hanging out with Jesus, hanging out with Jesus allows me to get up here and lose my voice and act like a wild man because Jesus has been so good to me. Listen, listen, I need to tell you, this is not normal for me. It's not normal for me. I'm probably one of the shyest guys you know. But when I think about, somebody help me, the goodness of God and all that he's done for me, my soul cries out. Hallelujah! Hanging out with Jesus will overcome your deficiencies. And it brings about unexplainable power. I know it's true because all of this mess got started back in Acts chapter 3. In Acts chapter 3, the beginning of Acts chapter 3, Peter and John are on their way to the temple to pray. And they meet a man who's sitting at the beautiful gate. The Bible says that this man was lame and he had been lame 
since birth. And he had somebody to bring him daily and set him at the gate because he knew the church folks was coming to church. He knew where to go. Go to church. He knew when to go. Go at the hour of prayer. He just didn't go for the right reason. But he sat daily at the gate begging alms. The Bible says that Peter and John walked up. And they look at him. He, they say to him, look on, look on us. Look on us. Look at, look at us. And then they say these words. They say, silver and gold. Have we not, but such as we have, we give it unto you in the name. Anybody here know the name? In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. The Bible says it was unexplainable because he was, these were just commoners. Bible says that that moment the lame man got up. All of a sudden, he had feeling in his ankles. All of a sudden, his calf muscles began to regenerate. All of a sudden, his calf muscles connected to his thigh muscles. And all of a sudden, he had running in his legs, yelling in his voice. He went in the temple with them, and he was proclaiming the name of Jesus. They were able to, they got in trouble for it. They got in trouble for doing for it because it gets them in, ends up getting them thrown in jail. But because they had hung out with Jesus, they have this unexplainable power that can only be explained by the presence. Listen, <clears throat> I got one more point, but I, I need to tell you this. You're going to need some unexplainable power. Because there are things in life that you will not be able to stand up against. You're going to need somebody with some power. His name is Jesus. Can I give you the last one? The last thing is this. The last thing that happens when you're with Jesus, it brings about, not only does it bring about boldness and unexplainable power, but it also brings protection and security. I know it's true. It's in the text. Look at what happens. They were threatened in verses 17 and 18 not to speak or teach in the name of Jesus. It's right there on the screen. I don't have to read it for you. It says this, but in order that they may spread no further among the people, let us warn them to speak no more to anyone in this name. They were warned and threatened not to speak, not to preach anymore in the name of Jesus. But in verse 20, Peter declares, we can only talk about what we've seen and heard. <laughs> you can threaten me all you want, but I'm going to talk about what I know. And what I know is, is Jesus. <laughs> He's the lily of the valley. He's the bright and morning star. He's the Alpha and the Omega. This is not Peter's message. This is my message. He is the author and finisher of my faith. He's the Lamb of Judah. He's the Lion of Judah and the Lamb that came to take away the sin. He's a wheel. This ain't Peter's message. This is mine. In the middle of a wheel. 
Peter says, I can only tell you about what I know. And what I know is Jesus. And here it is. The reason why I know it brings protection is because in verse 21, it says that they were let go unharmed. They, didn't, they, they had no choice. KB, they had to turn them loose. Because, because of what they said, because of who they professed, they had to cut them loose without harming our hair on their head. Being with Jesus brings protection. It brings security because he is our protector. Can I share just a few verses with you and I'm going to take my seat. I need to tell you what the Bible says about protection. Can I tell you a few things? Listen, in 2 Corinthians 4, 8, and 9, here's what it says. We are troubled on every side, yet not distressed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not cast down and destroyed. Not forsaken and not destroyed. Psalm 46, 1 says this. God is our refuge and strength. A very present help in a time of trouble. Psalm 91 says this, he that dwelleth in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. I will say to the Lord, he is my refuge and fortress. My God, in him will I trust. Surely he shall deliver me from the snare of the fowler and from the noisome pestilence. He shall cover thee with his feathers and under his wings shalt thou trust. His truth shall be thy shield and buckler. Thou shalt not be afraid of the terror by night, nor the arrow that flieth by day, nor for the pestilence that walketh in darkness, nor for the destruction that walk that wasteth at noonday. A thousand shall fall at thy side, and ten thousand at thy right hand, but it shall not come nigh to thee. Then here's one I love. Psalm 27, 1 through 5 says this, the Lord is my light my salvation. Whom shall I fear? Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When the wicked, even mine enemies, came upon me to eat up my flesh, they stumbled and they fell. Though a host should encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war should rise against me, in this will I be confident. One thing have I desired of the Lord, and that will I seek after that I may dwell house of the Lord all the days of my life. For in the time of trouble, he shall hide me in his pavilion. In the secret of his tabernacle shall he hide me. He shall set me upon a rock. And then all of us know this one. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside the still waters. He restoreth my soul. He leadeth me in the path of righteousness for his name. Say, yea. He's my protector. Though I walk through the valley, I'm going through. I'm, I'm not staying in there. I'm on my way somewhere. I'm just passing through. This, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? Because thou art with me. Thy rod and thy 
my staff, they comfort me. Thou preparest the table before me in the presence of my enemy. My cup runneth over. Surely, goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I'll dwell in the house of the Lord forever. He is my protector. I'm reminded of how they train young, young Indian boys to become men. I'm told that they train them with survival techniques all while they're young, how to survive in the woods by themselves. And then when they reach a certain age, they take them out in the woods in the dark of the night, around midnight, just like Paul and Silas. They blindfold them and leave them in the woods to fend for themselves. And I'm reminded of a story of a young Indian boy who's taken out into the woods in the, in, the, in the dead of the night and blindfolded. And all around him, he hears noises. Every little noise he hears, Sister Martha, he imagines that it's a big, angry beast that's about to devour him. He can't sleep. He can't rest. He's scared to death. And then suddenly the morning breaks and the sun rises and he's able to see the pathway that leads to home. And as he looks around, he notices a figure that's standing there with a bow and arrow. And he then realizes that daddy had been standing by him all night long. He walks with me. He talks with me. He reminds me that I'm his own. And the joy that we share as we linger there, no one else has ever known he is. Our protector. Father, we thank you for your grace. We thank you for your mercy. We thank you for your love. Thank you for boldness. Thank you for unexplainable power. Thank you for protection and security. We just want to be recognized as people who have been with Jesus. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. We want to give extend the opportunity for those that may have a desire to come to Christ. Maybe you have not given your life to him. We want to give you that opportunity today. Would you come as the music plays and as you reflect on the fact that Jesus is all of those things. We want to give you that opportunity. There's no better time than right now to come and surrender your heart. Would there be one? At the same time, we want to also remind everyone that if you have a desire to become a member of Bethel Hope, Sherry, wave your hand again, Sherry, has cards back there that will give you everything you need to know about how to become a member of Bethel Hope. Very easy process. Just go online, fill out the little form, and, and we'll take care of the rest. If you see Sherry, she'll give you the step-by-step -step instructions for that. And then last thing before I sit down, I need to remind you that we do have a prayer team available. Donna and Dennis and Dorothea and their team are going to be awaiting, waiting after service. Where's Donna? Right there. Donna and Dennis, Dorothea will be waiting. If you have a desire for private prayer, they'd love to pray with you. They'd love to pray with you. If there's nothing else, don't, don't forget a couple of things before we leave. Don't forget to vote. Deacons and elders, the forms are on the back table. 
Don't forget to do that. If you don't vote, if you, if you leave a space blank on the ballot, it will not be counted at all. That particular spot will not go against or for. It will just be not counted, okay? So you're welcome to leave it blank if you like. Uh, but please take advantage of that. And then don't forget that we're having uh, our leadership meeting today, immediately after we finish service. Box lunches should be here. Have they arrived? Anybody know? Anybody? Yes. So we do have box lunches available. We ask that all who, are, who either serve in leadership or have a desire to know more about leadership here at Bethel Hope, that you would stay with us as we have our monthly uh, leadership meeting. I'd like for you to, again, um, <coughs> uh, give it up for Jonathan Puckett today. Thank you so much. You blessed us today. Thank you. Uh, with that, if there's nothing else, am I forgetting anything? Anything? You sure, Mark? You're looking at me like I forgot something. <laughs> uh, let's let's uh, prepare to be dismissed. Now, may the peace of God that passeth all understanding guard our hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. That is our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen.